Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Nashville Life. I'm Alvin. I serve as lead pastor here. What's up, Balcony? Y'all feeling all right? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you, yeah, Nashville Life is where we are. It's a growing church. It's a church that I love very dearly and a church that has just been a huge blessing to my life. And I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you find yourself uh, feeling at home here. And I pray that God blesses you while you're here. Um, we got a lot of good things going. I just had a life group leader training that we did yesterday. We got to train a handful of new life group leaders for the fall. And as our church is growing, our life groups are going to need to grow. So I love the idea of, of seeing people answer to that way of serving in the church. We got another training this Saturday as well. Uh, Kids Life is planning a create camp uh, end of this month or later this month. And it's just just an exciting time to be at church, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're going to get into the scriptures today. I'm excited about the word. Um, I enjoyed sharing it first service, and I believe that God's going to move again in this one. So repeat these words after me if you can. Uh, say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it, and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. That's my prayer for us. Every time we get into the word is that it goes past our ears and gets deep into our hearts and produce fruit and results that not only bless our lives, but bless the lives of people who know us. That's when it really starts getting good, when your faith doesn't just bless you, but it blesses people who know you, your spouse, your kids, your parents, coworkers, friends, enemies, all of it. Um, that's the beauty of the gospel. Um, so that's my prayer for you. The theme for 2022 is withstanding the wind. That's the theme for the year. And it's inspired by Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, which is a passage where John the Baptist is talking about the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Uh, from the time that Jesus rose from the grave to the time that he returns is what we call a harvest season. The harvest season is currently right now. The day of the church is the harvest season. God is constantly gathering more and more people who believe in him, and he's pursuing them to be their Lord, to be their Savior, and that number has been growing ever since the day of, of Jesus raising from the grave. People are coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but the Bible describes this time as a turbulent time, a time that has challenges, a time that has snares and traps and temptations. It's not uh, the smoothest ride for, for a person to, to endure this season, this harvest season. So it's important that as the body of Christ that we are awake, that we are vigilant, that we are wise, and that we are properly trained to withstand the challenges of this era, this, this time of the harvest, this time before the return of Jesus, which I believe he's coming soon, but he's still we're, he still hasn't come yet, you know, so we're still in this time. And the Bible urges us constantly to endure this season so that when he comes back, 
We're here, we're ready, and we're unshaken. Um, so that's my prayer for the Nashville Life community is that this year we learn and grow in the ability to be unshaken uh, by the winds of the day. We're talking about different winds each month. The month of July, we're talking about the winds of futility. Futility is not a word that we use often, but as believers, I think it's important that we take this month to get more acquainted with this word. The definition of futile is serving no useful purpose, completely ineffective. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So we covered last week that in Genesis, when the first man, Adam, fell, when he disobeyed God, the results of that decision to disobey the Lord affected all of creation, all of creation. God created everything to be purposeful, to be useful, to be fruitful. And according to scripture, when Adam fell, all of the things that were created to be useful and purposeful and, and fruitful was subjected to this word called futility, which is the opposite of those things. It's useless. It's without purpose. It's not up to the means of the potential that it was created to meet. And when futility happens in the world or to anybody, we get the word frustration. Uh, Webster def defines frustration as a deep, chronic sense or state of insecurity and dissatisfaction arising from unresolved problems or unfulfilled needs. Another way I define frustration for us is frustration is the inability to be and do what you sense that you're supposed to be and do. And there's a lot of frustration in creation today. There's a lot of frustration in our nation. There's a lot of frustration even in this church. And I think the beauty of, of this truth is that there is help. The good news of the gospel is that the Lord can deal with that frustration. He can relieve you of that frustration, but he can't relieve you of the frustration without addressing futility. I believe that frustration is a byproduct of futility. Frustration is a byproduct of, of being futile in areas of your life. And the Lord wants to first address the futility in your life. And when you see your lack of purpose be replaced with purpose or your uselessness be replaced with usefulness, you will see that frustration will naturally subside. And that's what I believe the Lord is doing with us this month. And I have a scripture that I will cite correctly. First service, I was, uh, I, I, I hate when this happens, but if you need any proof that I'm human, there you go. Uh, first Peter is not what we're pulling from. We're pulling from second Peter. So just know every time you see a first Peter there, it's second Peter. Same verse, same chapter, different words uh, or different book. Second Peter, verse 1, 3 through 4. Check this out. I love it. I love it. Please, please listen to these words. It's going to bless you because it's blessing me. It has blessed me for years. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The good news of the gospel is the good news of grace. Grace is the provision of every possible thing we could need for life and godliness. Grace gives you all that you need that pertains to your life and godliness. So not only your life on earth and your natural life, but your spiritual life as well. God's grace provides you everything you could possibly need. And it's a lavishing. There's scriptures where he says he lavishes us. And lavish means it's extra. It's more than enough. It's, it's almost ridiculous. And that's why we have a song called Amazing Grace. Because when you actually get a glimpse of how much God's grace provides you, our first thought is this is, this is even more than I need. This is, this is beyond. And that's how God's grace is. God's grace is like a blank check given to you for every possible thing you will need for life and godliness. All the love you need, all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the kindness you need, all of the gentleness you need, all the goodness, all the self-control, all the faithfulness. And that's just the spiritual stuff. He also provides you all the clothes you need and the food you need and the home you need and the friends you need and the spouse you need and the security you need and the strength you need and the influence and the safety and the protection that you need and the healing that you need, the power, the vision that you need, the endurance that you need, the strategy that you need, the tools and the weapons that you need, the resources, the dreams the vision, the inspiration, and the good news of the grace is that he gives you all that and more. I didn't even name everything that grace provides. And why? Why does he lavish all this on us? Why is he so extra with what it is that he's providing for us? Verse 4 lets us know of 2 Peter verse one, chapter 1. It says, so that through them, through all these amazing promises and amazing provisions, this lavishness, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So if you ever want to know, God, why are you, why are you so generous with me? Why are you so generous with your mercy? Why are you so generous with your provision? It's because it's through these things that you may become a partaker of his divine nature. Now, I want to highlight two words that I think are very crucial to you being able to apply this miracle to your life. The first word is may, and the second word is partakers. The word may means possibility and permission. So if someone says, may I use the restroom? And they say, yes, you may. That means it's possible for you to use the restroom and you're allowed to use the rest of them. Can I have an extra piece of pizza? Yes, you may. That means you are allowed and it is possible. But what may doesn't mean is will. So though I may use the restroom, it doesn't mean that I will. 
Though I may have an extra piece of pizza, it doesn't mean that I will. It just means that it's possible and that it's allowed. And that's what the word may means. The second word I want you to understand is partakers. To partake means to take your part. To take your part in a situation. So for us to be partakers of God's divine nature, we must choose to take our part in it. So when it says that God's grace and when it says that all these things are given to us so that we may partake, it says that God's grace is given you all that you need so that it's possible and allowed for you to take part in God's nature. But what the scripture doesn't say is that he's giving you all these things so that it will automatically happen. He makes it possible but you have to do it. When someone, if I allow you to have an extra piece of pizza, I'm giving you the permission and the possibility, but what I'm not doing and what I think you guys would appreciate me not doing is taking that pizza and putting it in your mouth myself. (laughs) While I can give you the permission and I can give you the possibility, that's your cue to then go, okay, and you take your part of the pizza. So God gives you all the allowance you need. He gives you all the possibilities you need. But what grace doesn't do is to force his nature in your life. You have to take that permission, take that possibility, and choose to partake it for yourself. Grace does God's part, but it doesn't do yours. And it's very important that as believers we understand Whenever you're having any relationship with anybody, whether it's a friend, whether it's a parent, for any relationship to work, it's important for both parties to know their parts. For you know, you know the part that I play. So it's very important that we, and this is why it's so important for us to know God's part versus ours, because it keeps us from interfering with what's his job, which we can all tend to do sometimes. And it keeps us from expecting him to interfere with what's, what's our job. And, and this is the beauty of a relationship. God has a part which is to provide the grace, to provide all that you need, to provide it, to make it where it's 100% possible and 100% allowed. But our part is to actually take it. And this is one of the biggest misconceptions in the church. Grace gives permission and the ability, but grace doesn't actually do it for you. What is our part in this? Our part is to partake. Your part in this is to partake. To be partakers means to take your part. So I gave an example, and it helped me. Maybe it'll help you. And, you know, it's going to be very reflective of the season I'm in. But uh, Jasmine and I are engaged, and we're getting married. And we're planning a wedding. Hallelujah. Good news. Not the good news I came to share, but good news. Uh, Praise God. I hate when I bring that up because I can't get out of it. I just get happy. Uh, I can't talk about you anymore. Oh, man. Hallelujah. Anyway. Grace. Sorry. I got to get back. Um, Jasmine and I are getting married, and imagine, and you can imagine this too, she hasn't heard this yet, imagine a generous, rich person says, I'm going to give you a blank check and pay for every possible thing that you need for your wedding. 
There is no budget, there's no limit, there's no cap. And whatever it is that you need and whatever it is that you want, you can do it. All I need you to do is to pick out what you want and, and, and get it. And let's say we heard this news and received it with sadness and disappointment. Everyone would probably be like, what the heck? Are you serious? This man is going to pay for everything. You know, what's going on? And our response is, you know, th thank you so much. But we were under the impression that you were going to, you know, do everything, um, everything for this wedding to happen. And the generous person gets a little bit confused because he goes, well, I mean, I, I am. Like, everything is paid for. Like, all you have to do is pick it. I'm doing everything. And then we go, well... With all due respect, generous man, if you were doing everything, technically, you'd be picking it out for us and getting it for us and bringing in. Sorry, no disrespect, but let's be honest. If it was technically everything, you would be picking out everything for us and we wouldn't have to do anything. My concern is that that's the concept of grace that many of us are holding out for. My fear is that we are expecting an agreement where someone doing all the work to pay for everything is not enough. My concern with our time and our generation is that there's people where the agreement is not enough that the cost of Jesus shedding his blood, allowing and opening up every possible door for life and godliness is not perceived as enough. God's part equals the possibility and the permission to take God's divine nature. That's his part. Our part is to take God's divine nature. His part is to provide the possibility and the permission to take God's divine nature. Our part is to take it. Partaking God's nature is the reward. That is the prize. That is the equivalent of you having your dream wedding paid for without anything having to uh, pay, come out of your own pocket. God's divine nature is the key to everything that you need. Once you have the nature of God, there is nothing too hard for you. There's nothing impossible for you. Once you have the nature, I mean, we're talking about, we're not just talking about a better version of yourself. We're talking about the actual nature of God. You'd be amazed at what a life, a human life could be with the divine nature of God. But taking it, is still up to us. Taking it, grabbing it, receiving it, applying it to your life is something that even in all of God's power, that's not, it doesn't negate us from our part in the matter. Now, this is where the analogy ends. Just so you know, from this point on, that wedding analogy expires. And the reason why it expires is you can turn down that generous offer of getting your dream wedding for free and still have a happy marriage. There's tons of couples 
who didn't have the dream wedding they always wanted and have great marriages and great lives. The alternative to receiving God's offer to have his nature is not the same as missing out on your dream wedding. And my fear is sometimes, or my concern, I should say, and what I do discern sometimes is that we look at taking God's nature and receiving the fullness of God for our lives like we receive dessert or an extra perk to life. Dessert is an extra treat on top of an already sufficient meal. Or an extra perk is an extra bonus to an already satisfying life. And that is not how the word describes the alternative to receiving the offer of God's nature. Scripture says in the passage I just read, verse uh, 4 of uh, 2 Peter 1, it says that when you receive the divine nature of God, you are escaping from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Receiving God's nature for your life is an offer that you have the right to accept or deny. That's 100% every individual's choice. But it's important for us to know that the alternative to accepting it leaves you at the default state of being corrupted by the world's sinful desires. An error that we need to make sure that we don't fall into is underestimating the alternative or, or underestimating what happens when you reject God's divine nature. Peter says that when you take the divine nature of God, you escape corruption. So God gives you all of his grace. He gives you all of his promises. He gives you the permission. He gives you the allowance. He gives you the possibility to be like him, to receive his nature, to receive his divine spirit. But the default, like I said, is being ensnared by the corruption in this world caused by sinful desires. And this is why the gospel can be a turnoff to foolish people. And let me just briefly describe a foolish person versus a wise person. A foolish person is more upset about the conditions if they don't take the offer, then they are grateful that there is an offer. If you ever want to discern if you are walking in wisdom or walking in foolishness, it's when you're more preoccupied with the what if I don't than you are with the blessings of this what will happen if I do. It's almost like that third steward in the parable of the talents where his reason, what motivated him was, I knew that you would, you know, if I didn't do this, if I didn't do this, you would be mad, so therefore I didn't do anything. And there's a lot of people that instead of being grateful that they have an offer to be saved from corruption, they're upset that if I don't say yes, 
I have to be in corruption. Like I've seen so many people say, I'm just really turned off at the idea that if we don't choose Jesus, that means that, you know, we're going to be judged. And to me, that's a very foolish way to think because you're bypassing the glory that salvation is being offered to you. So I'm just saying, don't make that mistake of being so consumed with the, I mean, that's like, I mean, think about even with family or parents, like, be careful. And some of us might have been like this growing up, but, you know, if a parent says to clean your room and your mind first goes to, what are they going to do if I don't? That's the sign of a foolish person. And that will continue, if that's not corrected, it will continue to mature to where you're an adult. And we call it, we think it's cool, we call it, I'm a rebel. That's not cool. That's not wise. When your mind is going to, what if I don't? And that's where you go to? That, I, be, I just believe that that translates to your walk with God. You will read the scriptures like that. If God says, pray without ceasing, and I will keep you in perfect peace, and your mind goes to, well, what if I don't pray without ceasing? Like, it's, it's defeating the purpose that God is trying to save your life. God is trying to save our lives. And the key to wisdom is focus on the good news. Focus on the good news. Focus on what is being offered to you. Don't let the enemy keep you distracted to, well, let's start analyzing what will happen if I don't obey God. That's, a, that's not a fruitful way to think. Because you end up glorifying disobedience in your mind and entertaining scenarios of disobedience more than you're entertaining scenarios of obedience in your life. Grace makes it possible and it makes it allow for us to escape corruption in the world caused by sinful desires. I don't think you have to be a prophet or even a Christian to admit that there's a lot of corruption in our world. And when we watch the news, when we watch, you know, feeds on social media, when we see even conversations with friends, it can get kind of scary. And you can start thinking, oh, man, like, everyone seems to just be corrupted. What's going on? People are being discouraged. People are losing hope. And then if you're not careful, you'll find yourself believing this lie. Well, it's getting closer and closer to me, which means maybe I'm next. Maybe I'm the next person to be corrupted. Maybe I'm the next person to fall into sin. Maybe I'm the next person to fall into fear. Maybe I'm the next person to want to give up on life because it's happening to everyone around me. But there's a reason why the Lord says that when you receive his divine nature, you will escape this corruption because that's what it will actually be. It will be an escape. He will provide, God's divine nature will provide a way of escape from the corruption that is happening around you. So for those of us who are being, so for those of us who are being overwhelmed by the level of corruption and deceit and anger and hatred around them, the Bible says you have no reason to fear because God's grace, God's divine nature will actually protect you from things that seem to be happening so close by you. My mind went immediately to Psalm 91, which I think applies to all types of things. I think we can use it for natural, physical protection, but I believe we can apply this to mental protection, emotional protection, spiritual protection. I'm going to read verse 7 of Psalm 91. It says, a thousand may fall 
at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Now that's very interesting language because we have this picture of you standing there and 10,000 people falling from whatever on your left and 10,000 falling at your right. All common sense or natural sense would say, I'm next. I must be in some sort of line of fire. If all of these guys got wiped out and all of these guys got wiped out, evil must be very near me. But the Bible says something different. It says that you will not even find it come near you. Let's keep on reading so we can understand what this means. Verse 8 says, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Now they use the word allow again. So I'm, and I was talking about allowance earlier, how grace allows you to partake in God's divine nature. Let me show you just how amazing God's grace is. The same grace that gives you the permission to take part in God's divine nature is the same grace that doesn't give permission for the enemy to infiltrate your life. The same grace that gives you the allowance to partake in God's nature is the same grace that says to the enemy that he's not allowed to infiltrate your life. He's not allowed to infiltrate your mind. So he's both giving permission and taking permission away. When you are walking in God's grace, you have God's power giving permission and taking away permission from things in your life. And the beautiful thing about it is, is it's true. It's true. This is not fairy tale. This is not wishful thinking. Everything that we're reading is 100% true. But who is it true for? Verse 9 says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. We have to learn how to read the Bible and see his part and see our part. The Bible, Psalms 91, is talking about all the things that the Lord can do to protect us, to keep us from corruption, to keep us from having the same mental breakdowns that we're seeing other people have and the emotional and the moral collapses that we're seeing people have. The Lord is saying, even though it's happening on your left and it's happening on your right, I will make it to where it doesn't come near you because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. So now we see in this scripture, we see what's God's job. He's protecting us, but we see what our job. Though God can be our dwelling place, he can't make us make him our dwelling place. He can't do that. That's not his job. His job is to be the dwelling place. It's your job to make him your dwelling place. And I mean dwelling place, not place that you visit. Throughout the day, we visit places. We go to the bank. We go to the grocery store. We go to practice. We go to these things. But our home is where our home is. And we have, as believers, have to understand that visitations to God's house and his presence does not cover what Psalms 91 says he, God can do for you. This is for those who dwell in the presence of God. Some of you guys need to understand what that means to make his presence your dwelling place. It can't just be your first five minutes of devotional of the day. 
You've got to learn and ask God, how do I make your presence my dwelling place even when I'm not necessarily reading my Bible, even when I'm not necessarily at church? What can I do to live in your presence? And I, I promise you, he's not going to tell us to make him our dwelling place without telling us how to do it. He's not cruel. He doesn't dangle things in front of our face and say, cool, make us, but doesn't tell us how. The Lord will show you exactly what it means to make his presence your dwelling place. Verse 11 says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There we go again, though, learning how to read the Bible. At that passage I just read, I just read a whole list that was God's job. I saw I will deliver him. That's God's job. I will protect him. God's job. I will answer him, God's job. I will rescue him, God's job. Honor him, God's job. With long life, I will satisfy him, God's job. Show him my salvation, God's job. So in that passage alone, I saw seven things that go into the category of God's job. But what Christians, we have to stop doing is ending it there and being like, cool, God's job. And we start just living our life like we don't have a job. Just like I saw seven of God's jobs in that passage, I see things that are ours. He who holds fast to me in love, that's your job. His job isn't to hold fast to him. He can't even do it. Like, what is he doing, this? He, you have to grab him. You have to hold fast. And it doesn't say, it doesn't say, and it doesn't say touch. Those who touch me, those who grab and hold fast. I'm talking about a tight grip. We are in a time where anything less than a tight grip will not suffice. I don't think we've ever been in a time. I think what I'm saying today is not for 20, it is for 2022, but this applied to year three. Anything less than a tight hold fast to the Lord, you will not be able to expect God's jobs to happen in your life. And what's happening is, and, and I have to correct this, we are, I'm seeing more and more people forfeiting and, and, and bypassing their job, but yet having full expectation for God to do all of his seven jobs. So what happens is when God doesn't do his jobs, instead of going, maybe I missed the parts that I was supposed to do, the narrative becomes, God is not enough. God didn't show up for me. God doesn't work. And this narrative, this narrative grows and it begins to seep into people's hearts and lives. And that's the reason why we have such an unbelieving church and we have such a jaded church. And I'm talking about the body of Christ because, because there's not enough believers with the humility to go, maybe I bypassed something that I was supposed to do in this. And we're so quick to jump and receive the argument that the Lord failed us. And that he doesn't work. And the scripture is not all that is cracked up to be. And we really can't really believe that God will really do what the Bible really says that he will do. 
and we are so quick to run to this narrative instead of the simple, humble fact of maybe I missed a verse. Maybe I overlooked a part. And I'm just, y'all, I'm telling y'all, that's going to be the best thing ever. If you can just start to just reread some of those promises and, and really start to say, Lord, show me what's you, but show me, and I promise you, there is not a promise in the word that you will not see at least a small clause. It could be two words of something that is your part in the equation. Even something as simple as he will answer. He says, when you call me, I'll answer. That's just common sense, guys. That's like expecting someone to answer our call, but we didn't call them. God says, I will answer you when you call me. We gotta, that's, that's, that's his part. His part is to answer, our part's to call. It's simple. When you're humble, it's simple. When you're humble, it's simple. It's the pride that wants to complicate it. So how do we make God our dwelling place? How do we do this? How do we, if, if, God, if making God our dwelling place is going to make Psalm 91 manifest in our lives, how do we do it? How do you take part in the divine nature of God? If taking part in the divine nature of God grants you all this grace and all this amazing manifestation of power and love and provision in your life, how do we do this? The answer is effort. It takes effort. And I'm not sure if you haven't heard this before, but it takes effort. And the reason why I have to highlight effort is because if we're not careful, we'll be deceived into believing that God's grace exempts you from all effort. What I was thinking earlier, this is what I want to share with you guys. Grace is a product of God's effort. Using grace is a product of yours. Grace is a product of God's effort. He did the work to provide the grace. We could have never done the work to provide the grace that he gives us. But using that grace and utilizing that grace is 100% our job. I mean, look at Passover. God provided the lamb. He provided the blood. He made sure there was enough blood for every house in Egypt. But notice you will not find a single scripture that says that he actually took the blood and put it on the doorpost of people's houses. That's, if you look in scripture, if, if you open your eyes and realize that this is a relationship, it will change the way you look at the Bible. We are forgetting that this is a relationship, which means there's his part and there's our part. He goes, I will make sure that there's a lamb. I will make sure the lamb is spotless. I will make sure that lamb is slaughtered. I will make sure that blood is provided for you. But I need you to take that blood and put it on your doorpost. And I just don't want to, to uh, fall under this trend of where we are sneering at the one job that we have to take the blood and put it on. It's like, I mean, God, it'd be really cool if you could take the blood for me and put it on and me for me. It's like, I went through a lot. Jesus is like, it was, this, it was hard providing this blood. And I want us to be a people that are grateful enough to see that, yes, though this has taken me something to do and though I'm having to put some effort in, it's nothing compared to the effort that Jesus had to do to provide the grace for my life. 
almost like the married couple. Well, like, guys, yeah, it's going to take some time to go out to the store and handpick the things that you want for your wedding, but it's nowhere near the hours and years of work that it took for this man to have the money to pay for this. The word effort is in the Bible for the Christian, in case you didn't know. 2 Peter 1, we're going to keep on that same passage. 1, 5 through 8. It says, for this very reason, the word says, make every effort to supplement your faith. So not just some effort. you got to make every possible effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. One takeaway from this that might be confronting is that it is possible to have the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be completely useless with it. It is possible to know things about Jesus but be completely ineffective in it. And that's the wind that we have to understand is around here, guys. We have to understand that there's a wind of futility that is out to make you completely useless in what you know about Jesus. There is a wind that is blowing that is trying to make you completely ineffective of all that you know about Jesus. And the word of God is telling you how to withstand that wind, how to avoid that wind. And it says you got to put some effort into it. And you got to put every effort into it, not just some, you have to put every effort into it that you add to your faith. And it starts listing all these qualities that you have to add to your faith. And the cool thing about it too, or the interesting thing about it is, the word doesn't even say that it's enough to have these qualities, but it says that these qualities have to be increasing, which means everyone who's been saved for 25, 30 years, you're still not done. You can be saved for 80 years and still be called to increase the qualities of God in your life. And please don't let the enemy deceive you. Please don't let the enemy deceive you with the fact of God's word saying that these qualities have to increase. And what I've seen the enemy do is they, they'll, they'll read this scripture and their takeaway is, well, I guess God is never satisfied with me. And I guess I'm never enough to God. And what's the point of even serving of God if everything I do is never enough? When I tell you that is the most demonic interpretation, when the Lord is saying that he is and wants you to continue to increase, it's not a message of rejection. It's a message of, of grace. The Bible, God knows what grace can do. God knows that he's placed in you, the, if anyone who has the grace of God in their life, he knows that there is an infinite amount of potential in that grace that he's given you. And all he's saying is, I know what I've put in you. I know that I've given you the ability to be fruitful beyond measure. I know I've given you the ability to be effective in your walk. I know I've given you the ability to continue to become more and more like me as the years go by. So to ask him to do anything less is to ask him to have to ignore what it is that he gave you. 
I know that I've given you a blank check for all things pertaining to life and godliness. So all he's saying is, yes, once you reach a place where you're more like God than you were six years ago, that's good. But all I'm telling you is there's more. There's more that I've given you. There's more that I've enabled you to do. There's more that I've allowed you to do. There's more that I've provided for you to do. So the word is saying that, yes, it's cool. Like when you find yourself growing in Christ, all he's saying is don't stop. That's all he's saying. He's not saying I don't like you or you're still having to work. To... No, he's not saying that. He's saying just keep going. I mean, that's what we would all say to our, you know, man, I'm, I'm really enjoying my life. I feel like I'm in a good space. You would be like, well, cool, let's keep it going. You know, what kind of friend would we be if someone said, you know what, man, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm doing a good job with my life. And we're like, okay, cool. Like, well, then this is where you just stop and you just don't do anymore. Like, we've never given that advice. At least I hope not. And that's all we're, the God, God is going as you become more like me. And this, guys, this is, this is where the humility comes in. It's his command. He says, if you don't produce fruit, he says, if you produce fruit, he's happy you're producing fruit. But I'm telling you, this is, this is why it's important for us to know Jesus, because he tells us these things. According to Jesus, any tree person that produces fruit, he prunes so you can produce more fruit. And all I'm telling you is that it is not the spirit of God that wants you to take away that truth and go, you know, that's, again, that's that third steward spirit in the parable of the talents. You're harsh. You are never good enough for you. And that's why I did this. And that's not from God. That's not a godly interpretation. When God says that when you produce fruit, he's going to prune you so you can produce more, and that he's going to increase your glory. Y'all see the scriptures where he goes to Israel, stretch out your stakes because I'm going to do some more. You've been doing some great stuff, but I want you to do more. And it's not even for you guys. Let's think about God's divine nature. When you have God's divine nature, you're blessing other people. And maybe that's probably a perspective I need to make sure I add in there. The reason why God is not done with you, because there's still people in your path that need to know him. So it's actually pretty self-centered when we walk away with that perspective, as if this is just this one-on-one thing, like you're the only person that Jesus died for. Like, like the reason why he wants to continue to make your nature more and more like him is because the more you increase your nature for him, the more people in your life can get to know him. So see how it's very different perspective? Like it's, the enemy can have you look at the same scripture and take away something very depressing and very sad opposed to something that's inspiring, something that spurs you on to keep going, to keep pressing, to keep increasing, to keep glorifying God until he returns. I felt the need to bring that up because I know that can be a common thing, especially some of you guys who, you know, are hard on yourselves or maybe just you, you, you have complex with performance and acceptance and you wrestle with rejection. Guys, if, if, if that's you, please hear my words. Do not believe the logic of the fact that God wants you to continue to increase means that you're not good enough for him. It's a lie. And if that's in your mind, I strongly encourage you to rebuke it. Just so you know, a part of God's grace is he's giving you the authority to rebuke thoughts that are not of God. God, 
God's grace, remember, remember that whole list I gave of all the things that God provides? One of the things that God's grace provides is the authority to take thoughts that are not of God captive and cast them out of your life. You are, you are not a victim to those thoughts. You do not, you, you are not less powerful than those thoughts. I know they're flexing, I know they're talking a big game, but I promise you, if you can just trust me and trust God's word, I promise you, you have power over that thought. You are chosen, you are called, you are appointed, you are loved. God saw your face when he died on the cross. He, you are worth it, but, and that's why, he, that's why he is calling you in because he knows how much he's provided for you. Guys, it's like us having that unlimited donor for the wedding and us having a wedding that, that showed that we had, like, as if we didn't have any resources. Let me keep going because this is going to help explain that. Are y'all okay? I'm almost done. I know it's, it's dense, but praise God. This is what I got. 2 Peter 1, 9. Whoever lacks these qualities... Basically, whoever lacks the qualities that verse 8 just said, or verse 5 through 8 just said, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The only thing more sad about not being forgiven of your sins is being forgiven of your sins and forgetting. The only thing worse than having nothing is having everything and not using it. And this is the life of those who don't continue to increase in the knowledge and the character of God's spirit and God's nature. Even though they were forgiven of their sins, they forget, and their life looks like they, have, they still have to pay for our, your sins. Like, when you forget that you have been forgiven and that he's taking care of it, then you'll find yourself living like you still have to pay off for these sins. And that is so sad, especially when we know, almost like we're watching a movie, and you know something that the person who's in the movie doesn't know it. And you're like, no, don't do that. Don't go in there. Because you know what's possible. You know what they're missing out on, or you know what they're walking into. That's how God is. God is going, oh, my God, I've given them a blank check for everything they need for life, and they're not using any of it. They've let the enemy tell them that, that they can't or that something other than truth. It breaks my heart. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The word says to keep yourself from forgetting that you've been forgiven of your sins. To keep yourself from forgetting that God has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. To keep yourself from forgetting that he has lavished every possible blessing and allowance for your life. Bible says you've got to confirm it. You've got to be dil diligent. There's, there's another effort word. You've got to have effort. You've got to put effort into confirming that I am called, confirming that his grace is sufficient. Lord, you have given me everything I need for life and godliness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You have to do the work of making sure that you are confirming that you've been called and you've been elected to be a recipient of God's grace. And if you don't put the diligence in, you will run the risk of forgetting. Verse 11, last verse. For in this way, 
you will be richly provided for an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The thought I want to leave you with is when you do the work to obtain everything that's been paid for, you'll experience a life you could have never paid for. When you do the work to obtain everything that's been paid for, you will experience a life you could have never paid for. Yes, obtaining God's grace, obtaining the promises takes work, it takes effort, but it's nothing near the effort that it took for all of those things to be provided. And when you do the work to obtain God's favor, God's grace, God's calling, God's election, God's anointing, God's dwelling place, if you do the work it takes to make his life your life, you will experience his life. You will experience a life that you could have never paid for. I believe that God's grace is for you to experience a life that if someone asks you how it happened, you would say, I can't tell you how God's grace has provided my life. But if you really are walking in God's grace, though you will be like, I could have never produced this in my life, you will not say that you didn't do anything. People who have obtained the favor and the grace of God in their life will tell you that they are experiencing things that God could have never done, but they will all tell you that they had to do something. They had to believe it. They had to receive it. They had to confirm it. They had to feed it. They had to add to it. They had to fight through it. See the balance? I'm not denying that God doesn't have a part that's all his. I'm not denying. I'm actually saying it. God did all the work to provide your grace. But you've got to do the work to use his grace. And my prayer is that today people are inspired. People are inspired and stirred up to do the work that it takes to reach out and hold fast to God's promises for your life. I'm going to pray. God, I bless you. I thank you. Father, we are here for you. We believe that you have provided us a life that we could have never paid for. If we worked every day from birth till death, there's no work that we could do that could provide the grace that you've given us in our lives. There's no work that could pay off all the sins that we've committed. There's no work that could produce the peace and joy and love and faithfulness and self-control that you give to us, God. There is no work that could earn us the amazing grace that you provide for us every day. That work was done by your son, Jesus who took it upon himself out of his love for you and his love for us to die on the cross for our sins, to be accused and mocked and whipped and scorned and spit on and pierced and stabbed 
and whipped to shed the blood that it costs for us to receive your grace. So Lord, though today is about reminding us of our part, we will never forget your part. But God, in order for us to never forget your part, it takes effort. God, help us not to bypass and reject the effort that it takes to keep your life and love on our minds every day, to keep your truth on our lips every day, to keep our hearts pure and sensitive to your voice every day, to make your spirit and your presence our dwelling place every day to continue to increase, to never stop pursuing your character, your nature for our lives. Lord, grace is a product of your work. But using and enjoying your grace is a product of ours. Remind us and encourage us to keep our efforts involved, to not slack in the diligence that it takes to keep your nature at the forefront of our lives and our minds. God, I just thank you in advance for everybody in this room that makes the choice to make your nature theirs and to take part in your nature. I thank you for the fullness of Psalm 91 happening in their lives. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of confusion around us. And with our natural eyes, it can look so close. You know, we can feel like it's caving. We're, we're being caved in. And people are dealing with claustrophobia, feeling like they just have no space because there's just unrighteousness and, and discouragement and lies and hate all around us. But Lord, your word tells us that when we make your spirit and your presence our home, that none of those things that seem to be eating up so many people will come near us. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. It doesn't matter what's happening in politics. It doesn't matter what's happening in our social lives. You will make it to where none of that stuff will come near us. So I thank you for that promise and every other promise in the word. And I pray, Lord, that as we read these promises from this point on, we will never again neglect the part that's ours to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to ask us to stand. And I'm just going to give us a chance to do our part right now. A lot of things happen by just confessing. That's where it starts. The Lord can't confess himself as Lord for you. He can't confess your sins for you. His job is to forgive you of them, but our job is to confess them. His job is to uh, save you. It's your job to confess him as Savior. 
So I'm going to give us all a chance to do our part today. And let's address the throne of God. Let's address the Father in faith and practice doing our part in the relationship. Repeat these words after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's all say amen. Amen. Praise God. Congratulations on you doing your part. And all I ask is keep doing your part. Keep the diligence alive. Keep the effort there. I promise you, it's nothing compared to the effort that the Lord is giving you every day. All he's asking for us is to do our part, and I promise you, that synergy will produce incredible results in your life that will not only bless you, but it will bless your family, it will bless your parents, it will bless your kids, it will bless your spouse, it will bless your brothers and sisters, and it will bless people that you've never even met yet. I, I'm not lying. I'm not over-exaggerating. That's just how powerful God's grace is. So if you said yes to him and you're ready to take the next step, let us know. Text BELONG to 77411. It's a simple process, but we have some resources that we'd be happy to give you if you just let us know that you want them. So text BELONG to that number. You can also receive prayer up front. We've got a prayer team that'll be happy to serve you before on your way out if you need prayer or anything we're here for you uh, we have next steps right after this service so as soon as I dismiss if you want to learn more about Nashville life we've got step two up on the sec on the third floor one flight up we'll be happy to meet you there and then lastly giving thank you again for all of you who give tithes and offerings if you haven't started yet today could be your day we are grateful for you and we are excited for God to continue to bless your life through your giving let's pray Father, we love you. We honor you. I pray a blessing over this church, everybody who's here. God, I pray, Lord, that you will uh, encourage us, Lord, so that um, we won't stop pursuing you. Lord, and I pray for the fruit in our lives to only increase year after year, decade after decade. Lord, I pray that our impact and our effectiveness will only go up from this point on. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have a good day, y'all. Love you.